Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Reset Podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Mignot. This is part of my 29 Days of Magic series where I interview a Black woman a day, every day, for Black History Month. And I am so delighted to have Danielle Christine Toussaint, who is the CXO of the New Schools Venture Fund and the author of Dare to Think Purple. Uh, It's going to be a great conversation. Take a listen. Danielle, you finally made it on the podcast. I know this has been a long time coming, but um, I'm really glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. I mean, repeatedly inviting you and you're not being able to schedule it. (laughs) So it's all good. (laughs) You know, life schedules. I mean, I think I've canceled on you. You've canceled on me. Life has gotten in the way for both of us, but I'm delighted that you are. I'm so delighted that you're here. And so... I know you listen to the podcast, so you know what the first question is going to be. I can't wait for your answer. So, Danielle, what was your first job? <laughs> My first job was working at a dinosaur exhibition in the mall for the local museum. Um, and I like to think uh... about how I had to talk my way into that job. Um, I had been part of a a learning exchange program that the director of the museum had done at my middle school. And I remembered her and I kept her name in contact because I thought, oh, what a cool job. And um, when I was about 15 and I was knowing that that summer I could work, I started sending out letters (laughs) to local organizations um, that were hiring for internships. And I basically said, hey, I remember you. I remember you doing interesting things. I I'm curious about your career path and I would really like an opportunity to work for the museum this summer. And she was not planning to hire. Um, But then they had gotten some funding to do this dinosaur exhibit and she needed some young people that would work the kiosks in the mall and let the kids go in and do their little exploration. And so that ended up being my first job. Wow, a dinosaur exhibition, okay. So almost 300 episodes into this podcast, I'm still hearing jobs I would have never in the world have thought of. <laughs> so and this is one of them. Okay. Dinosaur exhibition. Sure. Where did you grow up? Waterbury, Connecticut. On the, even on the East Coast. Okay. Wow. All right. I see yeah. this. All right. So we go from dinosaur exhibi- exhibition place. Um, to CXO and author, what was that journey like? I feel like there's so much intention in me having worked for a nonprofit at 16 um, and knowing that I didn't just want to do work, that I wanted my work to mean something for community, that I wanted it to be creative in its expression, that I wanted it to be um really dynamic and interesting. I just, everything I did from my first job on was always, it had certain common threads. Um, I've worked in the social impact industry my entire career. And so I'm like, now that I look back on it, not surprised. I'm also not surprised that it wasn't a job that was listed anywhere that I had to like go create the opportunity for myself because that has been a very common thread in my employment that I'm often sort of just, through networking, through being really intentional about what I care about and curating a community around big ideas, able to be in a place to land the next right thing for me. Um, And it's not that it's linear, but it's just that it's always been connected. 
Wow. So where did you, how does, how does one even begin to like become a CXO of a venture fund? Like that sounds fascinating. When um, three, no, it was five different friends over the course of about three days who sent me the job description when new schools was hiring. And they were like, Danielle, this, this is you. Like they literally wrote you on paper. And I remember when I sat and looked at, you know, what is a CXO, right? Like you're helping to be sort of the, the chief brand manager, steward, um, external facing storyteller and curator of experiences for a community at an organization, right? Like that's what you're doing at the core because fundraising is about telling the stories of the impact that you're creating through your work that would get people excited to keep giving to your mission or to feel really proud to keep telling other people that they're giving to your mission and by extension, growing your support. Um, it's how you get media interested in the work and in the stories and in the founders that we're investing in. And it's, in our case, how we help to continue to find and fund and support education entrepreneurs, right? So I have been working in some way my entire life um, to help advance educational opportunities. I think even when I was experiencing my own public school education, I was aware that there was something different about what was happening for me and what was happening for students not that far away. Every time I would visit mm -hmm. a neighboring school and they would like have something cool that we didn't have, I would go back and advocate to have it. I remember we went and we saw a play at a more affluent suburban middle school and they had a beautiful stage and they had like curtain and drape and like an actual theater. And we had a multi-purpose cafeteria slash gymnasium slash, you know, performance room, right? It was everything. We just moved tables around in the room changed, but it was the same room. They had apportioned spaces, but I was like, we could still do a play. And that's how I got to direct a play in the fourth and fifth grade at my school because I would work with my teacher and we would adapt the book to a play and my grandmother was a seamstress and I would ask her help with the costumes and like I helped direct a play at eight and nine because you know you I was, yeah I just <laughs> I was just upset that they had something we didn't have and I was like they're not better than us and so I just think when you're built to recognize that there are differences and you feel um inspired, like deeply inspired and called to help bridge those gaps for others, then it's not hard to imagine a path to being where I am, which is where I now get to do it, right? But for an organization that, you know, this year is on track to give away $40 million invested in education, diverse innovators, um, you know, and entrepreneurs across the state. So it's like, to me, I know that the individual stops weren't all planned and I couldn't have told you, you know, two years ago exactly where I would be sitting because two years ago I was running a creative agency doing this level of advising and support to, you know, founders. But it makes sense to me to just be in a space where I get to do it at scale and really help to drive forward an organization that can touch in a year you know, 10, you know, many, multiple times more than I could do as just an individual um, consultant or advisor or, you know, a creative supporter to these organizations. 
Wow. Incredible. But also, like, I, why would I surprise? <laughs> like, no, yeah, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to, like, um, make a uh, direct a play at age eight. Yep, of course you are. Like, I, I, I mean, like, I, it's, it's always fascinating when, you know, when you talk to kids who just, like, you know, yeah, I can make this happen. I don't care how old I am. And <laughs> you were one of those kids. Like, oh, oh, oh. What do you think gave you the confidence to do that at eight years old? So that same year, eight was big for me. Eight was, eight was it was a big year. A big year. Eight was a big year. Eight <laughs> was the year when um my parents had to fight to get me into the talented and gifted program, even mm-hmm. though I had the highest marks of my of my class. And I think watching them fight for me because they saw that I was special and and seeing them push back on a system that was going to limit me was one early observation like, oh, they, I am worth fighting for and defending because there is something in me that like deserves to be nurtured, right? And then there was also my third grade teacher who we adored, who was retiring that year. And I got the principal to give me permission to like have the class throw her a retirement party. And, you know, 20 of my classmates gave up recess to help over a couple of days, you know, put in decorations and the librarian like was our decoy. And, you know, when you do something like that and no one thinks it's strange that you have no job, no money and no authority, but like you're telling people what to do and they're doing it. You're, you know, my eight-year-old brain just started to rewire itself. Like, oh, if I can do this, then what else? And Eight was when I was, you know, in the backseat of my parents' blue Taurus driving from Waterbury into New Haven, Connecticut, and noticing the landscape change on the streets and saying, oh, what is this? And realizing that it was Yale's campus and my mom sort of turning around to tell me like, oh, no, like this is a university, like it's Yale. It's like we're really smart people go to college. And Eight was when my brain did the math and was like, oh, you just crushed third grade. So you're going here. And I announced it. Like I just announced I was going to Yale and my parents took me seriously and they held a space for that. It like belief, even though nothing about our material circumstances would have suggested it would be true. And then for the next 10 years of my life, they just kept supporting everything that could make it possible. And I applied early decision to that one school and got in. And and I think like once you just see the distance between your belief and possibility materialized through your very concerted and consistent effort, it's hard to stop believing heavily in yourself going forward, right? Like that nurturing over time, that space holding for me to dream out loud became practice. And it's now just how I work. Like, I don't even know how to not believe in myself. It comes more naturally to me than anything else. And it's always because if not me right now, there is someone or something that will be connected and will be put in my path to help me succeed. I just fundamentally believe in that power of people to be the community that, that bridges the gap. And I'm grateful to my mom and my dad and a whole network of adults who chose to take me seriously. And that's why I always tell people, take young people seriously. Um, 
because if they are old enough to formulate a vision for themselves, they're old enough to take steps towards making it true. And it's often people who talk us out of our wildest dreams and who begin to teach us how to limit ourselves. And when people don't do that, you get something really amazing. Uh, I, girl, see now, why you have to preach on an, after, on, a, on an afternoon at 5 p.m.? Good Lord. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's, oh, there's a, a mountain in there. Um, and I think it is the odd, it's just going to sound like Barack Obama, but it is just the audacity of hope of where, like, you know, if not you, then why not you? Yeah. And I think. It comes from, and I think it comes from that, that moment where you said your parents like fought for you to get in the gift and talent. But like I, when I think of, I have a similar situation. When I think of the fact that like my mom, um, when they talk, like I was smart in my class, I didn't talk, um, and uh, I I because well, I had a really bad stutter. To this day, I have a, a stutter, but like I have figured out ways to like work around it. Um, and I couldn't tie my shoes. So at the time, they just thought I was a little weird, quirky kid who didn't talk, was the smartest kid in class, but like, and stuttered, and, and was always tripping because I kept, I couldn't tie my shoes. Um, and so they wanted to put me in one of the like, um, special education class where they thought something was quote unquote wrong with me. And my mom was like, no, she's bored. Give her more work and watch what happens. And so, because at the time, I was like, Mom, what are you doing? <laughs> and she's like, and so I, I got like, I got like the second graders, I was in first grade, and I got the first, I got the second graders homework and like crushed all that. And, and they were like, wait a minute. Like, oh, no, you're just a super smart child who is a little quirky. Okay, cool. My little quirky was actually being dyslexic. Um, but like what, but what it meant for me, for my mom to fight for me and to like, and embrace the, who I am as a really smart kid who's just likes to be by herself, um, and doesn't need to make tons of tons of friends, um, which is hilarious when I think of what, what my world is like now. Um, but like <laughs> that, but that belief in me that like what I was doing was, I was, I was great on my own means so much and I think it's so important that in the in what you think is in the smallest of ways but in the biggest of ways when you're in that car and you drive by Yale and your mom says yeah okay you'll go there and then okay you will like you know there's a I haven't seen it yet but like I saw on social about um the usage documentary with Kanye and how his mom was like continually pouring into him like of course you're gonna do this yeah it's amazing. Um, <laughs> it really is one of those things. Where, like, if you can pour into your kid the importance of how awesome you can be, um, even if you have no shred of relevancy for, other than your belief in your own child, what that means and how that can shape everyone. Because you know, as much as I didn't realize it at that point, my mom was making me fearless to like. And like, and it was building something in me that like, when I got older, okay, yeah, I'm going to build a business I don't know anything about and like figure it the heck out. And I did. Um, and, you know, those are things that matter so much in our experience, especially as black women. I love that. And I also love that your mom helped you to resist 
other people labeling you, right? Like I think because that's also something that once we let people put us in boxes and label us, we sometimes then repeat that, like we do that to others too. And I just think it's so important to resist the idea of you only have a piece of me, you know, a piece of my story. You don't know my whole story. You don't write my whole story. You, you Laura, like your story changed and who you became and your personality and your experiences were, they've all brought in so much. And if you had accepted, you know, the limited view of you at that time and let that be what like determined what you did next, it's like, we would have lost out on so much. And I just think that's also why I care so much about the interventions that happen through education, because schools can be amazing spaces to unlock opportunity they can also be places where we turn off the light in children. And, um, and so much of this is that behavior. It's the mislabeling, misdiagnosis, misunderstanding um, of how much potential young people have and how much room there is for them to still be becoming years when they leave your classroom, right? And I think some adults just really overstep. And I love the schools that don't do that and the innovators who give us you know, examples of, of how to just be easy with our kids, <laughs> be yes. easy with our kids and let them be great. Yeah, let kids be great. And, you know, I think that's really a key part of all of it. And, and I think it's like, even if you don't have any, you don't have any frame of reference, what is it to you to give something, give someone a positive so you can do it? Like, what is it, what does it take from you? Because like when you, if you just say to someone like, keep going. And, okay, this is a crazy idea, but like, you know, because, you know, as a Caribbean person, I'm sure you've heard, belief kills, belief cures. So if you if you believe in it, it can cure. It, it can get you that, because like, it'll put you in that frame of mindset of positivity. And if you keep saying, no, 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 it'll put you in this like framework of negativity. And, you know, um, yeah, it's sort of like the reverse of manifesting. If you're like, okay, it's never going to happen. Oh, well, whatever. Versus, yeah, you know what? Somehow, somewhere, I'm going to find a way. Like, there's just a big difference in how you approach things. Is that why you wrote the book, Dare to Think Purple? Yeah. Oh, well, there's many reasons why I wrote that book. It was both, like, love letter uh, and survival guide to other women that I was watching on the journey of building uh, businesses, not just for the money, but because they want them to matter. And I found that time and time again, there's something about the orientation of women uh, because of the many roles that we're socialized to play, where we look to see and care and nurture and fix. And then also when you layer onto that, every other like sort of level of intersectional identity, being a Black woman or being Latina or being a woman who's experienced trauma or tragedy, loss of child, or uh, being someone who has had a first generation experience, like keep adding on to this, be someone who, you know, has, who has different abilities or is on a spectrum of disability. And now you start to want to fix and innovate and change and shift based off of those experiences. And all of that bleeds into how we build businesses. And all of that is what we don't talk about enough because we're too busy often digesting and then sort of uh, regurgitating just these raw facts that we believe as facts that we learn about what it is to build a business that you can monetize and grow and scale and how success is supposed to look and how leadership is supposed to look, et cetera. And I just felt like 
we've got to interrupt how we learn from each other and stop waiting until we've gone through all the tough stuff and it's all buttoned up and it's cute and it's polished at the end of the journey to then share what we've learned and instead get real about sharing the things we're learning along the way from the people that are right alongside us on the journey, maybe just five, 10 years ahead, maybe sometimes just two years ahead, but who have valuable things to share because of the perspective, because it's still very real and it's still very raw. And so that was the space from which I wrote the book. And the idea of daring to think purple was really a challenge to be creative. Purple is a creative color. It's a regal color. It's a color that's the bold compromise between blue and red as someone who is politically neutral, as someone who is deeply creative and where story is just, you know, the place that I live and play, I wanted to challenge us to think about even social, social constructs and social challenges that we are trying to solve for through our companies, through a very human lens, a depoliticized lens, a lens that just believes that our own stories will show us the way to the solutions that we're trying to find. And so that's the ethos. Um, that's the ethos behind the book and and sort of the themes. Sounds amazing, and you know it sounds like it's an amazing love letter. Um, what's been the response to it? It's been really, really strong, and I think it's because um, so many different women are in the book, right? Like, I think it's because you know more than fifty folks were discussed, profiled, quoted. Um, interviewed for the conversation. And it's really opened up an incredible dialogue that's been multi-generational and across like racial spectrum, right? Like I've got founders who are like Jewish women in their 60s talking about what it was to um, not feel comfortable taking on a lot of the sort of more um, feminist ideals of their time, but then growing through their lives and thinking about just how to still leverage the power that's innate to women leaders. And then we've got like, you know, black women in their twenties from the South that are building, you know, vegan sustainable shoe companies and are doing this through like the era of COVID. Right. So there's such a rich, healthy diversity. Um, and some of my favorite stories were ones that women told me thinking that they really didn't have anything to do with their journey as founder. Like, you know, the woman whose story, you know, was about having gone through IVF while building her company and how much the process of letting go around what she couldn't, couldn't control in such an intimate place in her life really opened up a way for her to think about what she couldn't and couldn't control in her business and how to lead more intuitively and in a more connected way and without all of the fear and the things that would otherwise have like been a hit against her confidence. So that's been the reception that so many folks have sent me notes or, you know, sort of left reviews saying like, you have to read this because you're going to find someone in this book that is going to speak to you. And that was always my intention to really represent the broadest world. My, my worldview is really not a limited one. The people in my life are not all like me and that's on purpose. It's how I like it. And until we learn how to have deeper conversations across lines of difference, we will always do ourselves a huge disservice because there's so much to learn from how other people are seeing the world and, and constantly pushing yourself to ask new and different questions 
versus getting stuck in like pattern thinking, which I think we, um, we see a lot of, even in just how people consume their news and the way that algorithms are pushing us to just confirm our thinking versus to push our thinking and be willing to change our thinking if we're presented with new information. And I want to be one of those voices adding to the canon of books on entrepreneurship and literature and other things that say, you can write a book that shows love and real respect and admiration for Black women and women of color. That can also be a book that's about everybody, that, that is a, that's, that's doable. Amazing. You know, thinking about all the work that you've been able to do, what do you think you'd tell 18-year-old Danielle? Um, I would tell 18-year-old Danielle, you know who you are <laughs> already, and you will not have to change who you are to achieve the things that you want to achieve. I think that there was always a question in my mind, the 18 year old version of me that like, I would somehow in pursuit of these other things um, have to compromise the core of who I was. And I am glad to know now, you know, 18 years later <laughs> that that's not true. And I'm grateful for so many people in my life who kept affirming along the way and gave me that room and space, but I would just want her to remove all doubt, like waste no time worrying about that. The answer is no, absolutely not. You do not have to compromise your core personhood um, and that it wouldn't be success if you did. I love this, fantastic. Okay, but you do all this amazing work. You just speak life into everyone you are preaching right now. What does Danielle do for Danielle? What do you do for yourself here? Not enough. Um, <laughs> I know the feeling. Full same. stop. Same girl, same. The things that I'm doing right now, though, is I'm breaking um, the habit of like going right to my email or to my newsfeed. And for a while, I've been working on breaking that habit, but in the mornings now, with intention, I start my day. Um, I listen to songs and music that lifts me. I actually carve out time to um, read a daily Bible verse and do reflection on it so that I ground myself in what I know really matters. And it's like a touch back in with me time. And then, um, and then I go start writing, I go start reading, I go start responding, right? Like I, it's like a, a way of easing myself into my day because I don't always get to control the day once it starts. So I have to control the beginnings and I have to control the end. So the thing I do at the end of the day now is I take my tail to bed, right? Like I actually respect my bedtime um, because I'm realizing that those are the two most loving things that I can do for myself every single day is to control how I enter my day and do it in my best possible headspace and control how I wrap my day. So my sleep is actually good. And, um, those are, those are my, that's my short-term goal for right now. And maybe in a couple months, I'll have things I can add to the list, but, um, I'm trying to learn how to create the pause in an otherwise just really, really hectic life sometimes. 
you know, listen, if, if you got to learn how to create the pause, you got to learn how to create the pause. The idea is at least you're thinking about it, which is key. So I think that's a really great set, great thing to have, as well as, you know, setting your bedtime because one <laughs> needs to set, one needs to have one of those. They're really important. Um, and it matters a lot. So uh, I'm right there with you. I think it's, have you heard it's about, really important. Have you heard about um, revenge procrastination? I was no. reading about it and I was what? like, I think this is me. It's basically where like you are fighting against the fact that you didn't get to do what you wanted to do during the day. So when you should be going to bed, you instead just like, I'm just going to surf the internet. I'm just going to watch this extra TV. Like you just start doing stuff you have no business doing because you just want to get back at your day for being too busy. And I was like, I think this is me. (laughs) I need to just go to bed and like let 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 it be what it was and stop trying to get back time because then you end up like it's one o'clock now and you still have to wake up early and your day tomorrow is going to be the same but now you just didn't get any good sleep wow i've yet to hear revenge procrastination but that kind of a vibe i guess (laughs) but okay i get it sign up sort of maybe okay yeah <laughs> um wow interesting wow I'm, i continue to learn something every single day on this podcast and that's again why i love it so now um last question for you do you have a give and or an ask of the audience oh so many things um I mean, I guess the obvious one would be buy my book. Um, yeah, put it out there on Amazon um, and and share it, right? Like get it for yourself, but also if there's any particularly, you know, sort of woman leader who's leading a social enterprise, a nonprofit, a startup who has the vision for, I don't know, leveraging tech for good or making fashion better or you know, creating less waste through some sort of new company. I think we can all think of the folks, right, that want to just not just make money, but they care about the mission that they're on. And I would say there's a story in that book for her. So share it. We're heading into Women's History Month in particular. And I think this is a time when lots of folks are are thinking about, you know, um, the way that women make history. And I just think We've got to do more than just talk about the external policy factors. We've got to talk about how we care for each other and look out for each other in our everyday one-to-one relationships. And so the second ask would be like, find someone to affirm. And if that person is you, go look at yourself in the mirror and talk to yourself like you would your best girlfriend and say all the good, nice things to yourself, as opposed to probably the negative stuff that we often repeat to ourselves. But if it's someone outside of you, Make that time, send that text, um, because we need to be hearing from each other good things that build us up and make us feel seen and valued and and worthy. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. My goodness. Oh, Danielle, you're just full of wisdom and goodness and delight. Um, It may have taken us almost three years to get you on the podcast, but I have to say it was absolutely worth it. Thank you so much. We're going to put all of the details in the show notes for folks to, one, buy your book, follow you, and listen to all your your bits of wisdom that you have that's spouting out your ears. Um, Thank you so much for being part of a recent podcast for Nine Days of Magic. Thanks for having me.
Yay. All right. And that is our show.